Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I am going to go ahead and get into this episode. But just before that, I want to put out a trigger warning as there is some talk about complex post-traumatic stress disorder Um, But this is a wonderful episode. It is with Jenny Ruiz of Burning Times Tarot. We're going to be talking about tarot and just a lot of different things that life throws at us and how some of these practices can help alleviate some of that stress and a whole lot more. And just a heads up, we recorded this in a public library. So our voices are really low. And I'm telling you, I had no idea how loud libraries could be. It's really amazing. So there are going to be the sound of rolling carts, other people moving around. We were in a study room, but it didn't have a ceiling on it. So you're going to hear movement from the other study rooms around us, zippers. Uh, A lot of people were studying, which is awesome. Um, But you do hear backpacks being unzipped and pencils coming out and things like that. So there's this inadvertent ASMR quality to this recording. (laughs) So please grab a cuppa and join Jenny Ruiz and me in this week's In the Company of Friends talk. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We are going to be doing a really interesting recording today because we are in a public library in a private room with no ceiling. (laughs) So we need to keep our voices down, but I'm really excited to be back with Jenny Ruiz. She is a Burning Time Tarot, which is reading tarot cards and a whole lot more. You can follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Burning Times Tarot. So we'll go ahead and get started. I'm sure you want to add something to that. Yeah, so my Facebook isn't really very active, so the best place to follow me is Instagram. But I'm going to be reviving my YouTube as well soon. But the other main place you can follow me is Spotify. I do astrological playlists, and I'm doing a playlist for every card in the tarot oh every card in the tarot yeah 78 cards so (laughs) 78 cards okay can you explain tarot for people who don't know 
Oh, geez, where do I start? <laughs> uh, okay, so the history of divination. <laughs> uh, how, how would I explain tarot for people who don't know? I suppose it's just a tool like anything else. You know, everyone practices differently, but for me personally, it's not even so much about telling the future as much as it is about telling the present. It's a way of sort of checking in with the energy around you. And if you are asking, I think, about something in the future, I feel like it's kind of, it might illustrate for you um, where things could go if you continue in the same energy. But, you know, I do believe we have free will. Things are always changing. Every day is a new set of choices you can make, a new path you can take. So, you know, just because you get a reading that you don't like or you aren't crazy about, it doesn't mean that it's all set in stone, you know? I like that because I think a lot of times what might be a little bit frightening to people about having a tarot card done or having, you know, their palm read or whatever it is, is that once that reading has been completed that there's some static quality to it and there's so many variables that are constantly going on in life like life doesn't stand still on that reading there's other things that come in that can completely change of its path right yeah. and flip something that's bad into something that's good and, and there really isn't anything bad some of it is like you know, like they say, some things are lessons and some things are blessings. So it's not necessarily like there's a bad reading. Absolutely. And um, I, I mean, I grew up in LA, so I was familiar with astrology, but it's really only been the last two plus years that I've really started to delve into it. And I feel like it's the same principle. You know, you might have a difficult or challenging aspects in your natal chart, but they don't dictate your future like it's still up to you what you do with those energies and I've a lot of times if you do have something difficult a difficult transit or a difficult aspect I look at it more as like a challenge to be overcome like we all have challenging things in our lives but um, it doesn't mean that you're doomed or cursed like there's still all kinds of ways that that can actually play out in your life you know so for me tarot is more of a way of being able to check in with yourself, you know? Um, people have different ways of doing it, like you can use tarot, you, well, that's another thing, but aside from tarot, I also do uh, coffee ground readings and scrying either with objects or in water. And so, you know, when you're reading the cards, it's a bit more handy because it gives you a guide, but basically you're scrying on the cards as well because, you know, I, I started reading when I was a kid but you know you could pick up a deck and don't you don't have to know anything about it and you might still be an amazing reader because it's all about like what the cards are saying to you intuitively now for me the more that i continue to learn about the history of tarot and the meanings and the things associated with the cards for me i feel like that gives me more of a grounding and like a framework but ultimately it comes down to like what what is it saying to you in that moment and how are they all relating to each other? And so that part of it really comes down more to your intuition than being like a tarot scholar.
Um, well, speaking of that, I was going to ask you something else, but I'm like, oh, where did tarot originate? Do you know? I think the oldest deck known is Italian, and I, I want to say 1500s. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, and I haven't, I still want to work with that deck. Um, one of the other kind of second oldest decks is the Tarot de Marseille, and I do have a Marseille deck. Is that French? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting as well to see, you know, the way certain cards and certain depictions have evolved over time. But I think for modern tarot, uh, I, I call it traditional, uh, even though it's not as old, but you know, everyone knows the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. The artwork was done by Pamela Coleman-Smith. She was quite an interesting figure. She was British, but um, some people believe she was born in Jamaica, but um, I think it is at least confirmed that she did spend part of her childhood there because I believe her father worked for the British Embassy there or something along those lines. And so getting to experience a culture that was outside of that sort of European, British milieu, and then on top of that, she had a lot of experience in the theater. And so all of these different things like came together and informed her art and of course the the historical depictions of the cards as well and so you know i think a lot of modern tarot decks if they're not taking from like the old french or italian a lot of them are drawing on her artwork as an inspiration and so those three influences together i think are are quite important and knowing that it was a woman who created because you know growing up it was it was the right or weight deck you know but um now I, I very consciously try and include her because it was really her and Arthur Edward Waite who I think were mainly responsible for the deck that we have today. And that was the first deck I bought. That was how I started. So there's 78 cards. I don't know a ton about tarot. Like it really interests me. And you read a little you know, bit. And though, I do don't read you? a little bit, yeah. but I'm not definitely not a scholar. You know somebody that knows upon a card coming up exactly what it means you know so I always have a book that I go through but I know it's divided into like cups and swords and pentacles and wands yes. right there's yeah. four of them and then there's a higher arcana and there's a lower arcana what major and minor major minor thank yeah. you what does all of that represent well the the four suits you could look at as the four elements so swords are air Wands are fire, pentacles are earth, and cups are water. Um, much like we have the four elements in astrology, and each card has an astrological association as well, so that has also tied into like, I wanted my to ask you about that. interest in that. Yeah. Um, and then with the major arcana, you know, again, going back to the astrological parallels, I kind of think of the major arcana as like the more personal planets, or sorry, let me go back. I think of the major arcana as more of like the outer planets where um, those are kind of like the big overarching themes. Because the further out you go planet-wise, because a lot of them are further away from us and they move so slowly, a lot of those, you know, the energies that they bring tend to be inter, they're generational, you know? A planet like I know it's not technically what it's a dwarf planet now I guess technically but Pluto you know because it moves so slowly 
and it doesn't always move at the the same speeds. So anyone born within like the same 20 plus years, 28 years, will all have Pluto in the same sign. You know, um, it's got a weird orbit too, doesn't it? That's yeah. why it fell out of being a planet, and then just quite recently was returned to being a planet. What's to its status? I believe so. But I'm going to double check. That. Okay, because I think it's still classified as a dwarf planet. But yeah, you're it, you're, you're probably right. And um, you know, those last outer planets aren't visible most of the you know they're not visible to the human eye. And so right. some traditional astrologers just disregard them entirely, but I know I've definitely felt their effects in my life. But yeah, I think of the major arcana as like the kind of big, more, more overarching themes in our lives, whereas like... Pluto's officially classified as a dwarf planet. There we go. Yes. I'm sorry. No worries. Go ahead. Um, and so yeah, with the minor arcana, I think of those as more like the personal planets where they move quickly. So it's it's kind of those more day-to-day -day energies that, you know, can come up but also pass through, you know, at a faster rate. And I don't usually like to try to pinpoint specific time periods when I'm reading. But I know for a lot of readers, if that's what they're doing, swords, air is the fastest, and then water and then fire, and then earth. Earth is like that fixed sign energy, so it moves slow. And I'm, I'm a Taurus, so like, <laughs> I have a lot of fixed energy in my chart, so I get it. It's like, yeah, very much more slow and deliberate, whereas like something like Scorpio. water or earth. Me. Did you I know like, that? No, I actually meant to ask you, because I was like, I don't know if I ever asked Sylvia what her sign is. Um, that's amazing, because so we're opposite signs, so we're both fixed signs. And you know, uh, everyone's chart is a circle, and the two most kind of lit up axes in my chart are Taurus, Scorpio, and Aries, and Libra. So, oh. um, and what really drew me into looking more into astrology was just before the knowns changed a year and a half ago to Taurus and Scorpio, which on Monday they just changed into Aries and Libra, because it's every 18 months. Um, I had never even heard of it before, but it just perfectly, um, I've had so much like uh, upheaval in my life the last couple of years. And even though it's been challenging, I feel like I've grown so much through it as a person. And so, yeah, it definitely, had, that last year and a half, I definitely felt that. It's, yeah, it's been a rough one. What is, what does the new, it's going into Aries and what? Libra. And Libra. What yeah. does that represent? Uh, well, so, you know, Aries, so the nodes always move in retrograde. Unlike, you know, other planets, they're always moving backwards. So it's now back to Aries, which is the first sign of the zodiac. So it's very much about the self, about the ego. And it's the baby of the zodiac, whereas Libra is at that halfway point. So Libra is what starts the second half of our calendar. Libra is very much about how we share our energy with other people and how we compromise our places, even where we lose ourselves, because 
we are trying so hard to keep an equilibrium, right? Because Libra is all about the scales. And so the way a lot of, I guess, ancient astrologers characterized the nodes was more of a dragon. The north node was like the head of the dragon and the south node was the tail. And, you know, some people take like a darker view. Ugh, traditional astrology was a lot darker. <laughs> it's just like, these planets are bad and this means something bad. <laughs> I don't see it that way, but... The South Node is seen often as like the things that we come into this life with, our natural abilities. You know, if you do believe in past lives, it could be seen as like things that we have carried with us from previous lifetimes into this one. But either way, like our inborn abilities, the things that we gravitate to naturally, whereas our North Node is considered, you know, what we're striving to learn in this life and what we're striving to balance. And so, you know, whereas Taurus and Scorpio are very much rooted to like earth, to money, to not just to money, that but elusive like, green. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you know, um, during the year and a half that we had that transit, you know, we saw all the stuff that happened with crypto. Um, so you know, they have a personal connotation, but they also have like a wider sociological connotation mm-hmm. as well. You know, and so these, you know, the banking the issues with the banks. All of that stuff has come up during, you know, Uranus is still in Taurus, which is that that planet of, like, surprise, <laughs> shocks, and, and epiphany. So the way that we structure even our financial system, you know, has come into question during this time. And Scorpio is very much about transformation and kind of pulling out what's hidden into the light and transforming it. That's interesting, because I think most people tend to think of astrology as personal Mm. just about them but when you look at that wider effect or influence on the rest of the world and nature and beyond it makes it so much more interesting um so yeah another aspect of it being more generational or or like these bigger kind of collective events in the last couple months we had the first so pluto and saturn both change signs this year and because they're slower moving planets like it's a big deal when they change signs and Pluto made its first ingress into Aquarius and it's now back in Capricorn it's in retrograde but Aquarius is ruled by Saturn and Uranus and Uranus is considered a planet that sort of rules technology and the internet it's a higher octave of Mercury which is all about communication and just as it was making its first ingress into Aquarius, that's when we started getting all this stuff about AI. And obviously AI has been around for a very long time. But that first kind of burst of... Oh, I'm blanking on the name. ChatGPT and... Or Midjourney. Midjourney, you know, Discord. Kind of, that first kind of like um, spate of suddenly everyone was creating portraits of themselves and then it was like, well, wait a minute, what artists are we ripping off? Who's keeping these images? All this stuff. All of that was happening around the same time. And so it's always interesting to see those those bigger themes, you know, but it does, it is still personal at the same time. And I, for me, it does really resonate with me the more I learn about it, you know, the more I see those energies in my own life. And just like with tarot, it's not necessarily like 
governing my life. It's just a way, um, like a weather report, I guess. And just mm. being aware of like what energies are around you so that you can be better prepared. And I know for myself, anytime I've seen transits coming up that could potentially be difficult, if they touch on an issue that I've already sort of actively been working to heal or resolve, that transit isn't as difficult, you know? Or even once, you know, when I look back, when I totally had no awareness of it at all. It perfectly lines up with like a lot of really big events in my life and big time periods. So people don't have to follow it, obviously, if they don't want to. But um, yeah, for me, it's been really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were talking earlier about the artists and the cards themselves. I know there's different cards, and they're not all tarot cards, right? Like you have some moon cards, is that right? Or there's oracle cards. Oracle cards. Yeah, um, or uh, Lenormand cards. So like they're all different. And they're all complementary to the tarot cards. They can be. I mean, in my mind, like you, you know, whatever works for you, like whatever speaks most to you, you can use. But they're all a different form of divination. So mm-hmm. you know, whether it's coffee grounds, tea leaves, you know, you can read the bones. I don't like, there's all sorts of things that you can use. How are you reading coffee grounds? Because I'm like just sitting here thinking about uh, this morning I had a Keurig and I use the reusable, you know, not the disposable, but I'm just like trying to think, well, how would I do that? Do you just dump them out? And yeah, you, um, you know, I would usually do it like after actually having a cup of coffee and then whatever the grounds are on the bottom, you uh, put the cup on a plate, turn it upside down, and you pick it up. And the first time I tried it, I wasn't sure how it was gonna go, but it's just like with anything else, it's certain like shapes and things jump out at you and you just start to get like this narrative. And it's, it's not that different from reading cards, it's just, the images are less distinct, maybe, but you know, you're still just tapping into your intuition, and everyone has intuition. I feel like a lot of times when we tap into those things, we're tapping into the collective unconscious, and those messages are there for anyone to gather. I'm just kind of acting as a conduit for people who maybe aren't as experienced or maybe just want a different um, opinion or point of view. Are there people who just have blocks to that and need somebody else to see that? And if there are blocks, how do they unblock that? How would somebody unblock that? Um, um, <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because I feel like it's such a big question. It is um, a big question. You know, I think, I mean, some people, like I said, I think everyone can do it. It's just maybe not everyone wants to. Maybe not everyone you know, wants to take the time to learn and, or, or devote their life to it, you know, they just want to kind of maybe find out about one specific situation and then go back to their lives and that's fine too. I think for me, you know, if you're, if you're paying a reader or a healer or, or anyone, you're not just paying for their time or like whatever the time is that that reading takes or that session takes, like you're paying for the time that they have spent learning and studying. And not only that, but like, there's an immense amount of inner work required, I feel, if you really, really 
want to deepen your intuition, like you have to be able to be honest with yourself. And we all have places where we've had blind spots or, you know, we might have even a certain idea of ourselves that we might come to realize isn't, maybe isn't how we're actually showing up. And so I think that ability to really like look at your own shit and, and be honest with yourself and with others, you know, that is required if you really want to be able to read and, and be good at it. And I think the easiest way to connect with your intuition really, I mean, you don't need a fancy class, you don't need to buy anything, just sit with yourself. And I know some people, I know, um, you know, for me meditation has been really helpful. I do know a lot of people that have trouble meditating in the traditional way that we think about it, you know. Um, for some people it's really stressful trying to like sit still and quiet their mind. You can do a moving meditation. You can exercise, like I've had visions when I've been exercising. So there's all different ways you can do it, but I think it's really just a matter of like, really just tapping into your own mind, your own spirit, like what is true for you and being able to really connect with the energies around you. You know, as some of us are more empathic than others or we tune into other people's energies more easily than others but you know even if that is not necessarily easy for you it doesn't mean you can't you know maybe it just takes a little bit more time but I think most of the time people see and are aware of a lot more than we might give them credit for you know um, I think people I know I I've had this issue happen where like it's almost equivalent to your gut feeling like you realize that you probably shouldn't be doing something and maybe it's the universe or past experience or whatever and you ignore it you just ignore it because it's it's not always like super subtle but a lot of times it is subtle and it's just weird to not have a concrete reason of why you should not do something you just kind of go well it's just my gut that's yeah. not a good enough reason for me not to do this and then you go and step in to something that maybe wasn't meant for you oh I mean <laughs> I, I feel like you just described the first half of my life um, you know I feel like when I was a kid I was very I feel like I've always been intuitive. I've always been aware that there was something greater than us or, or mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a lot of strange experiences as a kid and I feel like I, I tapped into, you know, because kids are so much more open, they tap into those things more easily. But then you grow up and over time it's like these other things kind of get overlaid onto you and that core personality is still there but it can change a lot depending on our experiences and I definitely spent a lot of years where I had stopped trusting myself and I got very removed from my intuition from my spiritual practice so I it was a process for me to reconnect with that and to learn how to trust myself again and you know, I feel like that's part of why I always work that into my message. You know, a big part of why I started this channel is I, 
I want to empower other people to tap into their own intuition. And yes, mine is there if you need it. And if you want to use it, I am happy to help people with that. And that's why I love doing reading so much. But ultimately, what I really want to do is empower other people to tap into theirs. Because I feel like this world would be a much better place if we were all more in touch with our core selves and what's truly important. And so, you know, when I say trust yourself, that's what I'm talking about. On the other hand, I can think of plenty of people out there who probably shouldn't trust themselves. <laughs> uh, so I feel like maybe I need to temper that message a little bit, but I feel like for anyone, if they really, really allowed themselves to like open up long enough, they would sort of feel that energy that is underneath everything. But um, people can certainly go sideways with it, so I don't want to totally discount that. But, right. Um, there's it's so all many. about moderation and balance, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and really understanding what, what that intuition is telling you and knowing where its influence ends so that you know, you're not going off the deep end and I mean, I, <laughs> making life difficult for yourself and everybody around yes. you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, I've, I've definitely had certain like visions or intuitive messages that I have followed, you know, and again, like part of it was that learning to trust myself. Stuff that I've sort of like followed down a rabbit hole. And I think the mistake we make is thinking that we always know how things are gonna turn out and if things don't turn out the way that we wanted them to, then we just write it off as like a failure or mm. whatever. And what I have learned is yeah, I, I still follow it. That doesn't mean I'm always going to get what I want, and that doesn't mean things are always going to turn out the way that I think they will. The important part is to not get overly attached to a specific outcome, but to keep following that and tuning into that, because wherever it has led me, I've still grown tremendously from it, and it, it has still taught me a lot. So just because the end result wasn't what I wanted or what I thought, I think it's actually been better for me, you know? And I think a lot of times we get caught up in like, well, it should have been this way. It should have been this way, and if it's not that way, then something's wrong with me, something's wrong with the universe. And, um, you know, I think for me, and I, I know this can vary greatly depending on the experience, but for the most part, even like really difficult things that I've experienced, I've really tried to just take in like, okay, well, what can I learn from this? You know, and what can I take with me from this? That is something beneficial and how can I learn how not to repeat this if it's something that I really don't want to repeat? And again, it comes back to that self-awareness and being able to be honest with yourself and see like, the places where you've had blind spots, the places where maybe, um, you know, I think we all, we all do things at times that we wish we had done differently, or, yeah. you know, um, being able to see places where I wasn't acting in line with my own principles or integrity, um, that can be for good or bad, like, you know, sometimes we do things because we, we genuinely have good intentions, but we all have those moments, we all have those experiences. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the most important thing is to learn from it. 
So I feel like, um, in a way, there's almost a level of like spiritual arrogance, in a way, when to think that like you know what's best for yourself all the time. Of like, if I don't get this thing that I want, if I don't get this one outcome or this one result, then like this whole thing is fucked. You know, sometimes I don't necessarily believe that like it's all conscious, but I'm. You know, I, I certainly believe that there is like an energy, or many different layers of energies that that we live in, that that guide us, that um, are all kind of interweaving in ways that we can't fully comprehend. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'd like to think. Obviously, you can't put everything in this. Like, there's a lot of things that happen in this world that, like, you know. Are outside of your control. Well, I think too, like you were mentioning, like these microcurrents of energies, that's, mm-hmm. and there's so many of them, and we are not always in control. And I think too that when we start to think that we know what's best for whatever the situation is, we're excluding the fact that we're really not an island. There's other desires and passions and goals and outcomes that the people around us also have that might be in line with ours or might be in complete competition or directly clashing with what our desires and goals are. And we need to figure out how to kind of navigate through that because we're part of a society and there's so many different perspectives it's so funny I was listening to the psychologist and um, and I think this is something that we intuitively know but it's really interesting when you hear somebody actually put words to it and she said you know you can grow up with a sibling in the same exact home Mm -hmm. same exact parents sitting down to dinner every day at the same time next to each other and look back and have completely different memories of that time period, a completely different experience because we're so individual like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think also coming back to the way that we frame certain things, um, even societally speaking, it's like, you know, I'm divorced, like, if, if you are in a marriage or a relationship that doesn't last, people frame it as like, oh, it failed, it didn't work out, or say you have a business and it ends up going under and you have to close, that's seen as like a failure. But you still gain so much from the different relationships you have, from different undertakings that you try, and just because something doesn't last forever doesn't mean that it was a failure. Like if you choose to look at it that way, you can still take like the things that you learned and apply that in future, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, you can do a degree, like myself, in something that you don't end up pursuing as a career. That doesn't mean that like that whole education is suddenly useless to you. You can still end up doing things that draw on all different kinds of areas of your life where you have learned things, right? Right. And so, you know, you might have a business that you end up having to close, but that doesn't mean that that experience was a waste of time. Like you can still take all of those skills and that knowledge that you learned and apply it elsewhere in your life. And so it's that same mentality, I think, of 
you know, something's only valuable if it lasts. Nothing lasts. You know, I think what matters is appreciating, even when things are difficult, appreciating that, like, you'll never be in the, that same place again. And even if it's something you're happy to get out of, you can still take something from that. You can still learn something from it and grow from it if you choose. Right. And so it's, I, I posted in my stories the other day, it was like a meme that said, evolve or repeat. And I've certainly seen that in my own life where I think of time as more of like a spiral. You know, it's not linear, it's not even circular. Um, and it's actually, I think we may have talked about this mm-hmm. in the first one. See, again, it's a spiral. It's, it's a spiral. You know, you come back to that same point, but every time you come back to that point, you're coming back with whatever knowledge and growth that you have gained in that time, right? And you can evolve or devolve through that. So, you know, you can you can come at it from a higher and more informed point of view, or you can come at it from a lower energy and plunge further into the issue, or you can meet it in a different way and evolve through that. And that's what I, I try to do as a human being. Like integrate it in a way where that difficulty, that um, some, you know, some relationships, some of, some of those experiences that you were talking about have very crushing qualities to them. And... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and you do have to work through that. But the way I always look at those things when I know that... Um, there's this destructive, for for lack of another way of putting it, but there's a destructive quality to an experience, is to figure out how to make it, how to make it something that happened to me in my life, not the experience that's going to dictate the right. rest of my life, and it's so easy to wallow in that, and so you're you know you're carrying whatever that crushing experience is with you every single day and it might get easier to carry it but it's crushing you consistently whereas if you can leave it behind then you make some room to be able to move ahead and and experience more that is going to you know elevate you yeah and i you know let me just be clear i'm not necessarily talking about like abuse or violence I would never mm-hmm. like tell someone how to frame that for themselves or be like oh you should just learn from it I'm not saying that Thanks I'm, for I'm talking that about yeah. I'm talking about more everyday kind of heartbreaks um, but as far as being able to move on from it we talked about this a little bit but a big I guess stepping stone for me um, or milestone just in the last two years is like realizing that I have CPTSD which is complex PTSD and sometimes the C can stand for childhood PTSD so like you can have PTSD from like a specific incident you know whereas complex PTSD is generally something where um, you have experienced a lot of stressful events like over a period of time right and um, so for me uh, without going into everything I'll just say like I experienced uh, physical violence at a very young age uh, not sexual but physical uh, I know a lot of other people who were so lucky but um, for me 
realizing, like, you know, I think I, I spent... I think like not having any framework for it and not not knowing what was wrong with me and now it's like oh I understand like there I've lived my whole life in fight or flight I've had periods of like severe dysregulation but without a proper framework or even understanding that other people experience this and I think anytime you can you know, you don't want to get overly bogged down in labels or diagnoses, but even just having a framework, some sort of frame of reference for something is incredibly healing. And to realize that it's like, it's not just you, you're not alone. Other people are dealing with some of the same things you are, even if they take a different form. And so that has been like a massive uh, step for me and I'm still learning how to like stay grounded, but as someone who someone who uh, has struggled with dissociation, being intuitive on top of that, you know, it's it can be real hard to like stay in my body sometimes. And so, you know, that's where that earth energy comes in. Yeah. And being able to tap into that in myself and really like having a much better idea of how to ground myself, how to, you know, it sounds so cheesy, but like reconnect with my inner child and like do some of that, that reparenting work and inner child healing has been so incredibly useful for me. Um, but on top of that, I've dealt with other, you know, abusive relationships as a teenager and as an adult. And um, when you deal with like a lot of invalidating people who basically tell you you can't trust yourself, who constantly question you and your point of view, or even like who you are as a person, and you don't already have that like solid self-concept, which I didn't, because I was like, just I guess from, you know, the way I was raised, it was like, I was looking for validation outside of myself. I was looking for, you know, I didn't know how to self-regulate and so I looked a lot of times to my friendships and even more towards my romantic partners for that sense of regulation, mm -hmm. you know, and that's dangerous because anytime you're relying on something outside of yourself, it's very volatile, you know, you can't, you need to have a solid core and Tarot really helped me to access that, you know, it was an entry point for me, you know, when mm -hmm. getting back into it as an adult, and it really helped me to reconnect to my spirituality again, which I had lost for, you know, I, I really got to a point where I was quite removed from myself, um, and you know, I, I do consider myself a witch, I don't belong to any specific tradition, I just, I honor nature, I honor energies, and I do believe that witches are born, they're not made. But again, it's that, that thing of deep down, I think we all have an ability to tap into those things. It's just whether or not you want to or feel called to, you know, and not everyone does, and that's fine. But that's why people like me are here to maybe help assist with that if someone maybe wants to just deepen their knowledge or even just 
a bit of guidance or just a, a, a direction to go in. Because mm -hmm. sometimes that's all you need, especially when things seem really scattered. You need that focal point to kind of follow. And like you said earlier, it, it doesn't mean that you're stuck on that path, but it's, it's kind of a grounding, refocusing way of getting at, like, you gotta start somewhere and this is a good place to start a lot of times. And I can see too how if you've dissociated, if you've been like, you know, gaslighted a lot, um, and you know, I know that that's been a hot term for a really long time because it happens so much. It I mean, absolutely I, does. Like so many people have maybe not been victims of it, but at least experienced it. And I think part of the human experience is dealing with abusive relationships. Those personalities are out there, definitely. Yeah. And so yeah. I think we've all somehow experienced it in one way or another, but I can see how focusing on reading tarot or the oracle cards or the coffee grounds or, or the tea could be in line with even meditation. If you're not able to meditate, that would be something where you've got 78 cards that will allow you to focus on learning something about yourself through each one of those. And then if, you know, like if you don't have the desire to learn, somebody like you could provide that guidance, that refocusing, that understanding, or, or at least bringing some borders back in so that you can look around and see what the things are that are impacting you from a more focused place. Yeah, and I mean, even if, if I give someone a reading, if I say, you know, well, in this reading it's saying like you really should do this or head in this direction or whatever, someone can disagree with that. Um, and you might be like, no, that's absolutely not what I want to do. I'm going to do this thing. That's fine. You know, sometimes, you know, again, it's like, yeah, if you don't have that solid base, sometimes the only place you can start is, well, what do I not want? You know, and then kind right. of drill down deeper to like, okay, well, then what, what do I want? But um, I think sometimes, yeah, we get so caught up in society, you know, our image, whatever it is, we all do it. But that's sort of okay, well, what have I been told is acceptable? What have I been told I'm supposed to want or strive for? You know, and it can be really easy to get caught up in that. I think we see more than ever right now, especially, I mean, all over the world, but especially in the U.S., like, there's, there's all this fake culture war bullshit and identity politics and all this stuff. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's not relevant, but at our core, we're all just human beings. We all have certain universal similar experiences, and I feel like our similarities, there, we have many more similarities and differences as people, you know? And if we could just drop some of the bullshit, we could actually see each other that way, you know? Um, sadly, it doesn't work that way a lot of the time. Um, it's that polarization. You know, I always talk about the middle ground because that's where progress happens. It's it's one side and the other side coming to meet in the middle to, you know, you don't always, like you said, you don't always have to agree with each other, but to have that conversation and maybe create something new from it. Which is a very Libran perspective, you know, and unfortunately 
when you get to a certain point where like the other side's point of view is genocide, basically, there's, you can't compromise with that. Um, and so, I mean, I won't get into all of that because I would just open up a whole can of worms. <laughs> That'll um, be another I'll start ranting. I will start ranting. Yeah, I, I really wish there's that quote, it can be used in a weird way, but like, was it, we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I think it's important to remember that. I don't think there's any such thing as being 100% objective if you are a human being. You are coming at things, no matter who you are or where you are, you're coming at things with your own particular points of view and experiences and your reference points. Yeah, and so to, I think, to believe otherwise is false. Like, um, you know, we can try and be as objective as possible, but I don't think it is possible to be, you know, 100% rational. 95% of our brain function is unconscious. You know, um, we have that very Western way of thinking that like, oh, we're just all these logical, reasonable beings, and if we could just be more orderly, bullshit. It's bullshit, I'm sorry. There is so much that we do that is unconscious. Well, I was reading Mark Manson. He's got some really good books out there. And he was talking about the brain that thinks that it's driving and the other half of your brain, and they're they're both inside of us, that actually realizes that this is a clown car. And... (laughs) And it's like going to do whatever it can to keep you from doing what you want. And one of the examples that he had was just think of when you want to get into a bathing suit. Like you want to look a certain way on the beach. You know, six months out, you got this vacation planned. You got your bathing suit picked out. You know you're going to be on a diet. And two minutes later, your brain's like, I want some ice cream. And you're in your mind, whatever part of your mind, because it's not, it's, it, it's all the same, but it's, it's very different. Topography, I guess, would be the way to say it. You're pulling out charts, calories, you know, the amount of time that you have to lose this weight that you want to lose. And the other side's just like, we're in the clown car and we're going to go around the corner because we're going to go and get that Sunday. And you're never really in control even when you think that you are. So you have this very logical side and and to focus on always being logical and to also understand that that really is the division and the dilemma that's going on in our minds, not just diet-wise, but with anything that is a choice. That's, that's our free will. Mm-hmm. That's the angel and the devil, you know, that's on always represented on one shoulder or the other. Those two are always at odds and they're inside of our heads all the time. And so, yeah, we're not completely in control at any moment. True. And I mean, I just want to say everybody is a beach body. It doesn't matter. You know, and again, it comes back to that thing of like, well, how am I supposed to look? What What size am I supposed to wear? The clothes should fit you. We focus on fitting into the clothes. And, you know, and if everyone does it. I think to a certain extent, but so much of it is directed at women and femme presenting people. And, you know, so again, it's that thing of like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay the way I am. I have to like make myself into something acceptable. And yeah, I, I wear makeup. I like to express myself through my clothing, but like I stop dyeing my hair 
late last year. You know, I'm, and it looks I've great. got gray, like, you know, um, but it's that thing of just being like, it's actually really refreshing for like the first time in years to just be able to be like, that's one less thing I have to like stress about mm -hmm. keeping up with. You know, I can actually just give myself the space and the room to just be as I am in that one facet of myself. And just that alone, even though it ultimately is such a small thing, and yet it has freed up that one little, you know, it's like one last thing that I have to stress about and mm. just make it okay to be as I am. And that mm. might change the way certain people perceive me or act towards me, but that's not my concern. You know, people are gonna treat you or perceive you however, and as someone who's always been hyper aware of other people's energy, I think there have been a lot of times I've unconsciously tried to make myself what I thought someone else wanted or make myself more palatable for people, especially, you know. I think a lot of people can relate with that. And I, I think them. a lot of us do it and to I a certain extent. I think too that with social media, what it is now with the influencers, with it's all just a barrage of constant marketing for you to be different than who you are, you know? And I could have really used any example. I just like, I'm always like on a diet and I <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got all these bathing suits that don't fit me in, in my bottom drawer. Um, but it could be anything, you know, like you know that you've got to study because your goal is, you know, you want to pass a class. And that clown car is going. Hong oh, Kong, yeah. let's go party. Or, you know, oh, the invitation comes up to go out for drinks or the, or, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's all this constant struggle of, um, I, I guess they're both desires. Like we're constantly, we're constantly struggling. Like, what do I want more? And usually it's immediate gratification often. Mm -hmm wins you know because we're alive like you have to stop and smell the roses sometimes and i guess that's why that you know he calls it a clown car and, and i think it's hilarious so i do too <laughs> i love it oh. <laughs> well i mean for myself like i've always struggled with procrastination mm -hmm. and you know again part of it i think has been the cptsd like going i go into like freeze states and um you know, they don't last as long now because I know what they are, but I would, I would experience them intensely at times. And yet, like not having a framework for like what I was experiencing, it was just that added so much like self-flagellation to it all, you know? Um, but, you know, again, like you Because you know you it's said, a safe place is why you go into well, it, but exactly. it's a painful place at the same time. That's exactly right? it. It's those competing desires you were talking about because yeah. on the one hand, you know, and again, as a, as a fixed sign too, on top of that, it's like that very like we fear change kind of mm -hmm. mentality, even when the change is good, mm -hmm. right? So there's like that competing, those competing desires of like, okay, I know I don't want to stay where I am. I know I have these things that I want to do and I want to accomplish. And yet there's still like this other part of my brain that has that desire to be safe. And safety means keeping things the way that they are, even if they're really unpleasant, right? you know? And so being able to like break out of that, you know, and that's where I think a lot of things like subliminals or EMDR, which I still would like to try, but with my insurance, it's been difficult. But yeah, I think addressing 
those parts of our brain that, yeah, it's important to know things and, and understand things with our reason, but our brains are not reasonable. Mm -hmm. They're not logical. You know, that's why when you think back to a certain memory, you might suddenly feel like you're right there and you're feeling all the same emotions. Your brain doesn't know what year it is. Your brain doesn't know your calendar age or what time it is. It knows whatever you're presenting it with in that moment. That's mm -hmm. why people can have emotional flashbacks and things like that. Um, and so I think, yeah, getting to those other layers underneath our logic is what can be so important for like some of those unconscious things. And it's a process, yes. you know? creating those new neurological pathways because Absolutely. every time that you repeat something you're solidifying and deepening that original pathway so it's all about creating newer ones and remembering to take those newer ones instead of delving into that other one and, and again it's not always a conscious choice which one you take you know no. and I'm yeah neuroplasticity has definitely always been like a big touchstone for me um, because like I, I know um, for years like coming out of my marriage and I was sick for a long time and yeah. um, you know I had gotten to a point where like the way I spoke to myself was so cruel and so negative and that's the thing is um, you know, and I've healed so much of that, but, um, but like, be more mindful of that because, again, it comes down to that thing of, like, when you speak that way to yourself, your brain doesn't know if that's you or someone else. Your right. brain processes it the same way that you would react if someone else was saying those things to you. And so if you're talking to yourself in a way that you would never speak to a child, to a friend, to someone you love, you shouldn't be doing that to yourself either. And it it was definitely like it took time but I'm so much kinder to myself than I ever have been and what do you think were some of the steps that you took to get out of that because I know that you know again I, I keep going back to social media because it's just so destructive you know it, th there's the mindless scrolling that happens so you're getting these subliminal messages even if you're not focusing on that it's a and lot of data to take in like, it's a life lot. has never life never moved that quickly before I, I don't think our brains have caught up no they haven't and it's a lot of data that is designed to make you feel inferior you need something else or you're incomplete you need something else to be complete so how did you start working your way out so that you could speak much more kindly to yourself and become so much more accepting of yourself? Um, I'm trying to think because it wasn't, you know, something I knew I needed to change. Maybe I could have been more deliberate about it. I was still just kind of, you know, in a phase where I was just kind of grasping at whatever presented itself to me that I thought could be useful. But um, definitely just the first step was just be more mindful about it. Uh, cutting it off, you know, when I saw myself starting to do it, just be like, nope, we're not doing that. And, you know, again, it was like, it's a muscle, you know, mm -hmm. you have to practice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, coming back to the social media thing, a lot of it is stop comparing. Stop comparing it's the yourself, comparing. you know. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I've definitely really taken on is 
our emotions can teach us things, right? Because again, it's like not everything is logical, but you can kind of work your way back to the root of something. So something like envy or jealousy. You know, if there's like a specific person maybe that you feel like envious of or jealous of or feel threatened by, why is that? Is it because like this person is bad somehow? Is it because you feel like they have something that you think they don't deserve? That you feel like you would want and you deserve more? You know, what what is it? And so I think it's like when you have an emotion like that, it's showing you something you want, right? And so it's not even about that person in the end. Um, you know, what is it showing me? What is it? There's, there's clearly something that I want or that I desire that this person has or embodies. So how do I go about embodying that for myself, right? And it takes the focus off the other person. Or even like, you know, something like anger. It's like, okay, well, usually we're angry because maybe like a boundary has been crossed, right? You know, maybe we're not as conscious about it. So it's it's taking that time to like slow down and be more conscious and be like, okay, well, where is this coming from? And sometimes you need to just feel things and not over-intellectualize everything. Mm. But it also, you know, not every thought in your head is truth. And so being right. able to take that step back and be like, okay, where is this coming from? Certainly alleviates a lot of that, you know, and overly comparing yourself to people as well. Everyone comes with their own advantages and disadvantages and natural abilities and hindrances and so, you know, and it's also that that mentality of lack. And I use the word abundance all the time, yes, you know, and that is part of an abundance mindset is, you know, say like with YouTube, I want to reactivate my channel, right? I never got many views on there, but I, I became inconsistent with it. But it seems like every day there's like more and more tarot channels on there, right? Right. And yet, I see so many that have like thousands and thousands of views. So again, it's it's not this thing of like, well, there can only be three, and then that's it, and then the internet's done. It's like no, right. there's some there's enough for everyone, you know. And I think taking that approach to things and being like, just because this person has something I want, that doesn't mean that like I can't have it too, right? They have their own thing, I have mine. And so um, I think even just So there's room for both of you. Yeah, and, and not seeing not seeing it as some sort of like finite thing, like once it's used up, there's like nothing left for me. No, it's there if I want it, you know? Um, but like, okay, so what do I need to do then to find my people or my audience? And so that then is not so much about like, me comparing myself to someone else and be like, I'll never be that good or I'll never be that. It's like, no, okay, well, so what are they doing that I like? What are they doing that I don't like? What can I take from this that I might apply to my own practice or right. you create know. something from it? You know, I was listening to this uh, brain expert lady and I bring her up a lot. I don't remember what her name is. I'm going to have to look it up and I'll put it's her It's not down. something like Louisa, is it? I want to say her last name is Rose, but she's she's a neurologist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I don't know. She had like a long string of letters <laughs> in her name, like the whole alphabet. And she said that there's all these different emotions. You could be happy. You could be sad. You could be angry. You could be 
you know, rapturous, whatever. Uh, you could be lazy, which I know is not really an emotion, but you know, like complacent, whatever. And um, she said, you know, you got to look at them as though they're on a stage, and they're different mm -hmm. characters on a stage. But you can never have more than one character on a stage. Like you can't be happy and angry at the same time, or you can't be sad and complacent at the same time. And she said, but you know, sometimes all of those other characters are around, but they're never the star. And if you can figure out who the star is, then you can start working out what the theme of that scene is so that you can understand it better and get to the crux of it, you know? I mean, clearly, if you're happy, let's find out what that scene is and what caused you to be so happy um, or what caused you to be proud or excited about something so that we can replicate that. If you're really angry, you know, let's find out maybe these other characters had some, because you could be like, I know that I've been like so angry that I cried and then that just oh, made yeah. me, yeah. yeah, that just made me angrier and that made me cry more. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't sad. Right. Well, I guess, so interestingly, to, to use that analogy, um, A, to bring it back to tarot, you know, Pamela Coleman Smith had experience with the theater, so the way that some of the cards are presented, the artwork, is based on stage characters, or they are portrayed as though they're on the stage. And then also, as someone who, I've, I've always gone through like phases of like getting really obsessed with like one thing, and then I kind of move on to mm -hmm. something else. So I, when I was seven, I saw Amadeus for the first time, and I went through this whole classical music phase. But so the, the film mm -hmm. with Tom Hulse. Yep. Yeah, I love that one. And okay. I still love it. Director's yeah. cut, by the way. <laughs> Amazing. It really adds a lot more to the story. Anyways, but you know, so I would almost think of it then as like an opera. It's like your emotions are like these different characters that are on the stage. Like, are they creating a harmony together or are they discordant? You know, how are they in interacting oh. with each other? Because we all know, like, like, you can be happy and sad at the same time. We all understand bittersweetness or poignancy, you know? Um, and so it's like, how how are those energies working together? Are they clashing mm. or are they creating a melody? Are they creating something new? Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how I think of astrology as well. Like, all these different planets represent different energies. How are they all interplaying? So, yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I don't know why, because it just like totally went out of my mind. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that has something to do with me talking to her, asking her that question. But then I, I uh, the clown car went through my head and <laughs> I always have at least one clown car in my head, not several. <laughs> how does Mars moving into Virgo? Like, how are they playing off of each other? So I think the way that those energies are felt by individuals or how they play out in people's lives is all very individual because obviously we all have different charts, we all have different experiences. So, you know, a certain aspect might be like really wonderful for one person and like really challenging for another. It's funny you mentioned that because today, uh, so we're gonna have the Cardinal Grand Cross tomorrow. Today, 
the sun in Cancer is trining Neptune in Pisces, so it's very like watery, intuitive energy. But then we also have Mars squaring Saturn, which is very like clashing, like these very um, opposing kind of energies. And so with uh, Mars in Virgo, like I'm a Virgo moon, which is probably why I posted about that. But um, you know, Virgo is very deliberate, very detail oriented, tends to be more maybe a little more intellectual than emotional. It's ruled by Mercury, just, you know, again, uh, communication and thoughts and travel. And Mars is very much like, it's the god of war. It can be aggressive. It's like how we go after the things that we want, how we put things into action, you know, the way that we, that we move through the world. And so for me, I'm, I've been really embracing that energy and trying to just be more deliberate with it and, and more thoughtful. And to me, that is the higher aspect of Mars and Virgo. It's like being more deliberate, being more organized. We can all use more, at least I know I can, the organized part. I mean, I'm not, I'm not always the most, <laughs> I'm not always the most organized person. And so be more deliberate and, um, Virgo rules the sixth house, which is about our daily routines, our habits, our health, and so... I was going to ask you about that, too. So, yeah, keep talking about that, but then also how focusing on those houses, because earlier we were talking about how tarot and astrology kind of, like, can be grouped in and under that same umbrella that would have meditation in that, and being aware of these different houses and how they specifically focus us on different aspects of ourselves so mm -hmm. that we can be more balanced. And so the sixth house is about health. Yeah, um, you know, and there's obviously like, you can go into a ton of detail with all of that, which I won't, but um, the kind of overarching energies, yeah. Like when I think of Mars and Virgo, I think of like, say you want to improve your vocabulary, right? Just to take it away from like body stuff, but um, so you start like one word a day, you mm -hmm. decide you want to look up one word a day and like learn a new word, right? At the end of the year, you might have like a whole new vocabulary that you never had before and nothing happens in a void and so learning those new words might completely open up like a new perspective for you on something, a new point of view, a new way to express yourself, right? It's Virgo to me is very much of like those cumulative steps that you know the building might be, yeah and they might be small but having that consistency and and being deliberate with it that's what takes you to like a much bigger goal and so it can be in any area but um particularly with our daily habits it's like yeah when i look at the things that i do most habitually overall you know because obviously we're human and things happen and whatever right. overall cumulatively speaking do I do more things that benefit me or that hold me back, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so just be more mindful of that. And it's not about being perfect. It's just about setting an intention and sticking to it. Even if, you know, we all slip up at times or we might take a step back, that's fine. But again, it's that be more gentle with yourself, be more forgiving with yourself. And even if you lose your consistency for a little bit, rather than spending that time beating yourself up about it, just being like, okay, well, now I'm back. So right. let me, you know, continue. Um, and again, it's uh, Virgo's ruled by Mercury. So 
So for me, astrology made sense to me because I got really into Greek mythology when I was a kid. And, you know, I was a total nerd about it. And so, you know, and that's what interested me in learning more about, like, other cultures and other traditions as well. So, so many, all the planets are named after, like, mythological figures. So if you know the background story, it makes a little more sense to you as well. But, it, you know, there's a reason why these things are, are myths, because they, they talk about universal experiences or universal energies that people can understand. But, yeah, Mercury represents health, you know, and the god Mercury had winged feet, traveled really quickly, was the messenger of the gods, also was a healer, and taught other healers. And so, yeah, Mars and Virgo to me is very much like that healer, heal thyself kind of energy, you know, but in a, in a loving way, you know, how can we better support ourselves? How can we better support the people around us? What do we need as individuals? Like, how do we see to our own needs so that we can also then have more to give to others? But you have to you have to fill your own cup first. You can't pour out of an empty cup. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. I know our time is almost up. Yeah. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, or they want to learn more about anything that we talked about, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, so yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Bernie Times Tarot. You can DM me there or email me BernieTimesTarot at gmail.com if you want to book like a private reading or anything. I also do energetic cleansings and I do make spell jar necklaces. Um, I have a lot of other offerings coming down the pipeline, but I don't like to overpromise because again, you know, <laughs> I want to be consistent. So you can follow me on Spotify at Burning Times Tarot for tarot and astrological playlists. And I am a music awesome. nerd too, so I'd like to think it's a good bit of variety in there. Yeah, and there will be more to come. I'll leave it at that for now. Very cool. And hopefully we'll have you back on to talk about more of this because it's, it's such a huge subject. So thanks for coming. Thanks and for talking to me today. Thank you. It's always such a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me back. Conversations with good friends are like great therapy. And this one definitely fits the bill. And I just love how tarot cards and astrology fit so well into meditative and mindfulness practices with such rich and deeply meaningful ways. We could have talked for days. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to bringing more wisdom and insight from Jenny in future episodes. In the meantime, check out the show notes for links to connect with Jenny as well as selected other links, and keep sending in your questions and comments. I read them all. We're also always looking for the next inspiring story. Maybe you have a really amazing story to share or someone you know has one. So please drop me a line because the world needs more amazing stories. Please take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming in the company of friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, groundedness, peace, elegance, and beauty.